loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Time all game. Here's a shot, Julius. He scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied. Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Talking Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. What's up, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Pick and Pod, along with Chris Persianen and Miles Grossman. I'm Colin Locker, and happy to be with you on a snowy Tuesday here in New York City, the Bronx, New York, to be specific. We've got a lot to talk about around the association. Guys, it's a great week, actually, schedule-wise for basketball tonight alone nuggets and sixers playing each other kings and Suns. the nightcap maybe the best game of the bunch thunder and clippers so excited to kind of swing around the association we'll talk about the knicks the nets a little bit on the hawks here and there just there's a massive amount of storylines taping taking shape excuse me as this season really gets into the stretch run but before we get there chris how are you doing today Jokic versus Embiid tonight i will be there no matter what <laughs> listen man you you nailed it the schedule's great um all sports right now i feel like i'm happy with how things are going nfl playoffs nhl's been fun but nba right now is getting into the heat of the season honestly just around the half point for all the teams um yeah right around halfway through the season and and like you said we're seeing the storylines take shape um who makes the best MVP case tonight? Obviously, you can't put too much stock into one game, but that'll be fun. The Knicks have looked really good since getting Ananobi. They've also looked really bad in some of the ways you thought they might. Backup, guard, uh, creation, uh, secondary creation in general. Um, so, you know, the ups and downs, but that's how the NBA goes. That's the nature of it. It's been fun. Miles, this is really the point where the rubber begins to meet the road for all of these teams, teams that are looking to contend this year, teams that are trying to figure out what their situation will be going forward. I know you're monitoring the Brooklyn Nets closely. It's going to get interesting for them for the next couple of months and change. Yeah, I mean, the trade deadline is right around the corner at this point, only about four weeks left. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Brooklyn Nets make a major move, but you're exactly right. It's a fun part of the NBA calendar. I think MLK Junior Day is kind of like a Christmas. You know, people don't talk about it like that, but it's certainly a holiday in the NBA where you got that all-day slate. It's a fun holiday. Speaking of that MLK Day holiday yesterday, the Knicks took on the Magic at Madison Square Garden. We will start right here in the city that never sleeps. Magic beat the Knicks 98-94. to Really, it was a decent game for New York up until the fourth quarter. They were outscored by the Magic 25-16 to in that final frame. And I know the immediate thought of Knicks fans is that this is the type of game you have to win, Chris. But at the same time, it's not quite time to hit that panic button. They have looked really good with OG Ananobi. They've looked different with OG Ananobi. This is the sort of game that eventually, yes, you have to win. But a young Magic team, a very talented Magic team, Paolo Manchero, no scrub whatsoever. He's one of the next rising stars in the NBA. He's already a star, to be frank. When you look at this sort of game, you have to close out better. It's been a problem for New York in years past, especially at home. You have to close out. They've been better at home this year, 11-5 and so far. But just it would have been better to win this type of ball game, to build, to use it as a building block. But overall, you take it for what it is, and that is a singular game, a part of a long season. 
Yeah, for sure. And it's tough with you know Jalen Brunson being ruled out the day of the game. Um, Deuce McBride starting again played really well offensively, but the Knicks just previously they they dig themselves in a hole that they can't get out of, especially in Orlando. They they were playing the Magic and earlier this season over our winter break, and they played really poorly in the first quarter. Picked it up, played great in the final three, but it wasn't enough to undo what they had already done. That was not the case this time against Orlando. The Knicks had the lead until just about three minutes left in the game or something like that when the Magic surpassed them and, and didn't give it back, didn't look back. Um, it's tough. You know, the Knicks definitely, I think, could use some rotation tweaks, not huge changes, no players coming in or out of the rotation, just a little bit of a little bit of different balance, a different kind of balance in the minute distribution. You're seeing right now because of the lack of a, a bench scoring guard, a bench initiator. McBride is doing a great job scoring with his opportunities, but it's it's not a lot of creation for others. Um, that's why you see you know, the rumors about them targeting a Brogdon, right? But the thing is that with that kind of secondary unit, it puts a bigger offensive onus on Josh Hart than he should have, you know, and, and he's not played well given that. And that's, I think, not entirely his fault, but it's also something I think the Knicks can adjust for. They can give him three fewer minutes and give someone like Quentin Grimes three more minutes because at the end of the day, if you're searching for offense, you'll just take the shooting. If you think Hart's defense is that much better, you can acknowledge that. Still give him 25 minutes a game, but just not 28. You know, like however it works out. Um, I think there's small that there are small tweaks the Knicks can make. It's also really tough, you know. They're supposed to have Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein, and you take a look at EPM this season. One of the advanced stats that NBA front offices favor, and well, <laughs> defensive EPM. Guess who's number one, one hundredth percentile in the NBA? Isaiah Hartenstein at four point two. Next highest is Xavier Tillman at three point seven. Wenbanyama at three point seven. Walker Kessler at three point five. So. No one's even at four besides Hartenstein at 4.2. He is just bringing it every night, 15, 20 rebounds, three, four blocks, you name it. This guy's been playing out of his mind recently, and it's a contract year for him. He signed for $8 million a year with the Knicks. Some people said, who's this guy? We gave him $8 million a year. Some people loved the, the, the get from the Clippers, their backup big. Now he's in line to be laughing at offers of $12 million a year because he's probably looking at 15 or 16 at least. He's been a top 10 center in the NBA this season. Yeah, Hartenstein has held his own down low, and I think especially in the absence of Mitchell Robinson, that's absolutely huge. But when you look at this Knicks team, mustering 94 points in four quarters, that can happen 16 points in the fourth. That's obviously the one that stands out for you. And, I mean, you're missing your franchise point guard. You're arguably missing your, what's at this point, become your franchise center in Mitchell Robinson. That's a hobbled squad. I mean, I don't think that anyone expects to be a dominant team without Jalen Brunson nor Mitchell Robinson. So, Knicks are in a tough spot. I think it is disappointing to happen in this fashion where it's kind of like you lose your legs in the final quarter. But credit to Deuce McBride. I think I've... You know, everyone knows about the defense. This guy can harass anybody in the league. He's kind of like that Jose Alvarado type where it's like, you know, he can harass, he can irritate like the best of them. Um, you know, he's a little bit undersized, but coming through with 20 points. I think you got to give him credit as a two-way kid. Um, 
The three-point like shooting finally translating from the G League. Yes. I mean, he, the talent was always there, right? It's like, uh, can, can he handle it mentally at the NBA level? So you, you got to like 20 there. Um, but don't sleep on the magic as well. You look at these NBA standings, they're literally right behind the Knicks. I think it's funny looking at the Eastern standings. Colin and I were just kind of joking about this off air. It's, it's a pretty split conference in that there's some there's a whole group at the bottom that are just genuine bottom feeders but when you get in that core Pacers Knicks Magic there's some there's a lot of even teams at the heart of it and that includes the Orlando Magic they might be young but they can certainly compete with the Knicks particularly when you're without a guy like Brunson plus course they're big man down low they've been without robinson for a little bit yeah. though and i do think being without brunson is a major factor but colin you know fellow knicks beat reporter i think you'd agree with me here that mitchell robinson being out isn't really like an excuse that they can compound at this point because frankly you take a look at the record since the ananobi deal robinson was out that whole time they're what six and two now right they're playing really good ball with Precious Achua is the back of five who has flashes of extremes in both directions. And I think Hartenstein has been very good for the Knicks since Robinson has been out. I'm actually working on a little report for FUV about this subject because what he's brought to the table is not necessarily trying to be like Mitchell Robinson. He's kind of brought his own flair, but he's done Mitchell Robinson-like things along the way. Look at the rebounding. I believe it's close, if not already, a career high in terms of rebounds for him now. That's obviously a result of more minutes. He's getting more time in this system without Robinson. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you need him to crash the glass. These are things that the Knicks need. The offensive offensive rebounding needs to remain somewhat consistent for this team because, quite frankly, when push comes to shove, if you're without a Brunson, Mm -hmm. the effort's going to have to make up for it at a certain point. And you look at the East right now, everyone's kind of beatable. I don't look at one team and say the Knicks can't beat them with this current iteration in a singular game. Now, a seven-game series changes the conversation. So if you have to go to Boston and they have home court for seven games, I don't know how that's going to go. But you look at Milwaukee, they're lethal. But at the same time, this is the first year with the Lillard and Giannis experiment. What is that going to look like at full force in the playoffs? We don't really know. We know what Philly has been when they have made the playoffs in years past. They're not necessarily scaring anyone in the conference finals if they get there. And then you have that kind of second tier, Cleveland, Miami, Indiana, New York, all kind of mm-hmm. clumped together. The only one of that bunch that truly would scare me with this iteration is Miami. I think Indiana is a very good team. I still think they're young and developing. I think the Knicks would win out in terms of experience there. We know what happened against Cleveland last season. So really, of that bunch, New York is the best of that second tier. The question is, can you then push up towards that top tier and break that glass ceiling? so to speak, and there's no reason why they can't if they can get the chemistry right. But, guys, the other New York team, not even in those top two tiers. They're towards the bottom of the bucket, and, man, it went downhill pretty quickly. The Brooklyn Nets, 10th in the Eastern Conference, 16-23 and on the season. This has just felt like a season where they've had to play basketball, and there's no more polite way to put it in that they've showed up, they've played the games, but no one's fooling anybody about championship aspirations, real playoff aspirations. If you wanted to say play-in aspirations are there to go ahead, but if that's what you're aspiring towards, then we have to have a whole other conversation entirely. Brooklyn Nets last night lost the Miami Heat 96-95. to Butler scored 31 points in that ballgame. Listen, even to compete with Miami with a Jimmy Butler who just returned is somewhat impressive, but... At this point in Brooklyn's development, if you could call it that, Mm -hmm. it's clear something has to give. Well, last night, 
I think we saw some impressive moments. We have to acknowledge that. The first half, defensively speaking, for Brooklyn was genuinely special. They held these Miami Heat with Jimmy Butler returning to 16 in the first quarter, 15 in the second quarter, 31 points in the first half. What they did defensively was the blueprint for what they have to do every half. I mean, sure, Miami wasn't making their makeable shots, but the defense was exactly how it has to be. And I think going back to even media day for the Brooklyn Nets, the idea was, hey, we can be a playing team. We can be an 8-ish, 9-ish, 10-ish seed in the Eastern Conference. And the way that they could do that was this defensive brand of basketball. Can we hold teams to under 50 a half? And I think you've, we saw flashes of it early in the year. I mean, they've been so bad lately that we might almost forget that they started the year above 500. They were a solid looking like a maybe 8-9 spot. And now, I mean, still in the 10 seed, but... When you're this cold, it seems that this you know margin between them and the other middling teams in the East is only going to get larger at this point. And with the trade deadline looming, I don't know. You have to consider some changes. You see, I would have been fully on board with last night being somewhat impressive had the Nets fully showed up in the overtime period. Once you get to the overtime period, you really have a chance to prove, no, we can be those rough riders and compete with a team that has based its entire culture off this idea that we're going to nickel and dime you to death and eventually beat you one way or the other. I have not been impressed as well by Nick Claxton this year. Last year, I thought he was very good when accompanied by someone like an Irving or a Durant. I think he's someone that needs talent around him. He's not necessarily an anchor in the same way that a Jokic or an Embiid is. And I know that's an impossible ask out of Claxton, but that is the framework with which we are going to be measuring centers from this point going forward. I don't know if I would necessarily deal him right now before the deadline and try and sell relatively high before it gets worse and he starts to look worse because he doesn't have a lot around him. But if you're Sean Marks, you have to be sitting in your office, Chris, wondering what pieces can I offload now or can I wait it out long enough to where something else will break our way and we can start to trend in the right direction. I've been really public this season about saying what the Brooklyn Nets need to do is lean on their pro scouts right now. Here's why. You don't have your own draft pick this season. If you lose, which you are, you will not be rewarded with anything but the experience, the friends you made along the way. That's not much for these NBA front offices nowadays. Now let's look at stars recently. Name me one besides Jalen Brunson, and if you want to be real gratuitous on this snowy Tuesday, Fred Van Vliet, that has changed teams via free agency in the last three or four years. Has not happened. It's a trade. It's a sign and trade. It's an extension, right? It doesn't happen. These guys don't just sign elsewhere. That's why a team like Detroit clearing up cap space seems a little silly. Brooklyn looking at having to pay Cam Thomas, looking at uh, Nick Claxton, maybe parting of ways, right? You think the move could just be, well, let's, uh, let's, let's tear things down. The thing is when you tear things down, you don't get rewarded for the losing. Here's what I do if I'm Brooklyn. I call around and I try to get guys that our pro scouts think can outplay their value on that team, on our team. For example, one thing we didn't talk about with the Knicks is the report today from Fred Katz that the Knicks are actively fielding offers for Quentin Grimes. Is that someone that the Nets can call cross town and try and add to their young court? 
you know, bringing Dariq Whitehead and Noah Clowney over from Long Island doesn't make sense just yet, again, because you're going to lose with those guys playing, and they can get more reps in the G League. But what can you do now? You can call about a Jonathan Kuminga. You can call about Moses Moody instead. What about if Kuminga's too expensive? Trade for Moses Moody, right? How about hitting up a team like Charlotte and saying, wow, you guys have a lot of guards. <laughs> Let's see if one of them can be good here and get try to get a, a, you know someone like a Bryce McGowan's, right? There are different kinds of ranges of players that you can go look after if you're Brooklyn. And then in the offseason, you use someone like Cam Thomas and Nick Claxton and sign and trade them as part of a bigger deal. Try and get some other players. Maybe if you can want to trade them before the deadline for someone good, like a DeJounte Murray, who you can come to terms with an extension on, then that works too. But assuming they don't upgrade before the deadline, I think that's the that's the move is to wait for the offseason and try to get a good player to change hands via a sign and trade, you know, involving a Nick Claxton or involving uh, a, a Cam Thomas, right? Isaiah Hartenstein is going to be a free agent. Do you think that there, a sign and trade could be worked out? You know, maybe with the Knicks, where Hartenstein signs for a lot of money cross town, and the Knicks get the consolation prize of Nick Claxton backing up Joel Embiid, right? Like things can work out in funny ways, and I think the Nets should should just position themselves to benefit off of some youth reclamation projects right now. AJ Griffin isn't playing in Atlanta. Nets should be all over it. Right, make something happen. Get guys that have value. If you want soon to go deal for a Donovan Mitchell, you'll have young players to do it with. Miles, I know as well. Just to get into the Cam Thomas of it all, he's someone that Nets fans look at, and it gives them both a great deal of hope and a great deal of agita all at the same time because he's not necessarily your prototypical. NBA star. He's a bit of a chucker when it comes to what he's looking <laughs> it's a good for, word for him. on is. the court. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can build around a Cam Thomas. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if you can build around a Mikhail Bridges. I think that's starting to become disproven this year. I thought that he had another level to his game. Not a number one. He st- I agree with you. I do think there's another level for him to find, but I don't think that level is where people thought it was towards the end of last year when he looked really good because he was getting more volume in terms of shots. I think the key pieces for the Nets to turn, you can correct me if I'm wrong from here, that they should look to move off of at some point. Mm -hmm. Cam Thomas at some point. Nick Claxton, because let's face it, you need someone who can rebound the basketball in this league. There's teams that would give you a whole hell of a lot for someone like Claxton, especially given he showed flashes of offensive grit last year when paired with Durant and Irving. And then I think Lonnie Walker, because teams are always looking for another guy that can shoot the basketball. That's sometimes how you win playoff games. I mean, you look at that series between Boston and Miami last year. There were times where it wasn't the prettiest basketball you ever watched in the world, but teams were making three-point shots, and ultimately whoever had the better clip Whoever was making more shots won the game. Mm-hmm. Claxton, 12.8 I, rebounds per game over his last five. Yeah. I mean, Nick Claxton has held his own. That's a good point, Chris. But I think the biggest name to get away from is the first name you touched on there in that it's Bridges. Bridges is a player that you can actually get legitimate value for in the NBA right now. I mean, at this February 8th trade deadline, Bridges is the kind of guy that can still command multiple first-round draft picks. If I'm the Brooklyn Nets, I'm certainly shopping bridges around looking for draft picks. I think if anything, if there's anything that you can learn for sure from this terrible stretch, 17 games, three wins, 
losing eight of their last nine games. It's that Bridges is a talented player, but he is not the kind of guy you want to base your franchise around. And the sooner you get rid of him and get some legitimate assets back for him, the better. Now, I know that might that's be a, unpopular. That's a big leap. Not because, look, he's the one guy. You watch Nets basketball, he's the guy that doesn't come out in the first quarter. They rotate nine gentlemen in the first quarter who doesn't come out it's Bridges. Bridges is the reliable backbone of this team. So I understand why it might sound ridiculous to say he's the guy you ship. But I think he's the guy where you get legitimate value in the NBA right now. Everyone else, it's kind of like, what could you get back? I don't think they're going to backtrack on not getting rid of him when his stock was extraordinarily high, though. That's the thing. Like, I, I, For as much as you may have a point in that they could get a lot back from they had a chance to get even more, and they mm-hmm. refused to budge on it in the moments after the well, initial Durant trade. Well, then like the argument of, we got a tanking stock here, let's hold on to it because it's tanking. Then you might say, there's the, obviously the, the retort would be, if that's the correct word there, I think I said that correctly, this is the time to get rid of them because we could still salvage something, right? Ah, that <laughs> might be a bridge too far for me. This is intended. someone who dropped 42 points not too long ago in an NBA basketball game against the the Portland Trailblazers. But, but here's the thing, though, is you got Macau Bridges, who you think on a really good team is going to be at, at worst your number two option, at best your number three or four option, right? Probably your number three option. Um Think about what stands out from number three options, especially at the forward position. It's really strong playmaking, right? Guys like Jalen Williams are making a name for themselves being really good playmakers for others despite being big wings that can defend. And you take a look at Mikal Bridges. He's getting all of those skills sharpened now as a number one option. Think about how much better Kevin Durant's passing got when Kyrie Irving missed half of that season, 75% of that, that COVID season, right? KD became a much better passer because for the first time in his career, he was the clear lead initiator of the whole team's offense. And I think McAlbridge is getting those reps now is going to lead him out to be such a great number three or maybe even number two option. I think he'll be just as good as someone like Chris Middleton was, you know, maybe not returning. I remember Chris Middleton had one season where he was like arguably a top like 12, 13 player in the NBA that year alone. Um, I don't know if Bridges turns in that kind of year, maybe gets really hot from three one year. But the point is that he can be a number three option on a championship team. You've got him under contract. You keep him around because if you trade him, you don't get rewarded for it. You don't have your own draft pick. Remember, this is key. The Brooklyn Nets did not acquire a surplus amount of draft picks when they traded away the superstars. They simply recouped what they had sent to Houston for James Harden. So they are not ahead on their rebuild. They're behind because they don't have surplus picks and they're bad and they don't have their own pick. So this is a team that's behind schedule. Never a dull moment here in New York with the New York Nets or the Brooklyn Nets. We'll have to see how things shake out for both teams. I love the Chris Middleton comp there, Chris. I have to say that one. I was like, yeah, no. Build-wise, it's pretty similar. So kudos to you there. Another team that has been struggling in terms of the bottom of the bucket in the Eastern Conference the Atlanta Hawks, and for the life of me, I can't figure out why this team is as bad as it is. The defense is horrendous. We know that's probably why they're as bad as they are. 16 and 23rd, 16 and 23 this year, excuse me, 11th in the East. Right now, the offensive rating far outpacing the defensive rating. Offensive rating eighth in the NBA. Defensive rating 27th 
in the NBA. That should paint a certain picture for you folks listening. And for as much talent as Atlanta has between Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, Bogdanovich, someone like a Sadiq Bey, it just hasn't really clicked for them. And they're now looking to move off of certain pieces. I think this is the time to strike and see what you can get in terms of draft capital. If you could get some short-term rentals just to maybe make a push at the play-in from here. I think the next couple of games will really dictate what they decide to do pre-deadline miles. Yeah, Atlanta is one of those teams that just feels like they're middling always. And I think, you know, the Trey Young versus the Knicks series was kind of the peak of this franchise as of late where... You know, that was when they were a, a, a playoff team to a playoff force to be reckoned with. But today it's like they're down there with the Brooklyn Nets. And I think you have to consider is this time to finally blow it up. They've been middling for so many years where you think, well, maybe this isn't the core forever. Trey Young is obviously one of those gifted scores. There aren't that many Trey Young level basketball bucket getters in the National Basketball Association. But you got to build around them. And I think, you know, getting rid of Murray, I don't hate that because I don't think that they've proved that they can be complimentary. Okay. I'm messing around here on the trade machine. (laughs) 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 I'm using the trade machine. And here's the deal. If with no A.J. Griffin in the deal, I'm trying to keep Brooklyn from giving up draft picks, right? Realistically, they should not be coughing those up. If they throw in a second-round pick they have from the Heat and a 2027 first-rounder because they have a bunch that year, it's, like, protected from Philadelphia or something weird, right? And the trade is Darian Finney-Smith, Cam Thomas, a 2027 first, a year where they have three fir- or two firsts and a swap, just one protected first, and a 2025 second-round pick. It works under the cap for DeJounte Murray. So... Because Murray's deal is only $18 million this year, that extension doesn't kick in until next season. This works. Then the Hawks can extend Cam Thomas. They can sign and trade him to someone who will. Whatever it is, this works under the cap. What do you make of something like this? I was actually going to suggest perhaps Brooklyn will be in the market for someone like a Trey Young as well if they could swing it. Now, I don't know if Atlanta would go that far this year or this current season. Uh, I think I it, don't think so either. I think it would appease Nets fans more, but from the Atlanta side of things, no, they're probably not going to go there. But that the move for DeJounte Murray makes sense for both sides. I think Jerry and Finney-Smith is someone that has shown glimpses of that 3 and D mentality that a lot of GMs are looking for, but the shooting sometimes lags and the defense suffers as a result of the poor shooting insofar as his headspace has been concerned at times. I just keep coming back to the idea that this team should be a lot better than what it is. Like, there's not many excuses for the defense being this bad either, other than a lack of coaching. And I'm not going to completely knock Quinn Snyder here, but this team was not that different when Nate McMillan was the coach, and they played a lot better basketball. They won a playoff series. They won two playoff series under Nate McMillan when he was still the interim in 2021 you would think they'd be better now especially that Trey Young has matured and grown into his role I think what they've gotten out of Sadiq Bey has been good off the bench Mm -hmm. and when he has started here and there I like Bey a lot I I just feel as though Atlanta has underperformed I don't think that they were ever going to be towards the top of the Eastern Conference but could they be where that Orlando Magic New York Nick tier is yeah probably in my estimation so it's a shame that it's gone this way I would perhaps make a change 
at head coach. I don't think it's going to happen because Snyder's still relatively new. You're going to let Trey Young burn through another head coach? <laughs> that's his third one. I know. Well, that's why I'm hesitant to go that far. If, I, I, if I told you I got in an argument with my coworker and it was so bad and they, they were rude to me and this and that, you'd be like, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. Next day I come to you, I tell you, oh, we got this new coworker. We already had problems on the first day. You're thinking, wow, this is a really tough week for Chris. Two days later, I'm telling you about my right. fourth argument with the fourth different coworker in four days, and you're thinking, this guy's the problem. See, I, I'm looking at it purely from the sense of, as a franchise, I'm the owner of the Atlanta Hawks. Which is more expendable? And I don't know the answer to that from an Atlanta Hawks perspective because this is a team that has always underperformed. Even the years they were good and they had playoff runs back when Horford was a part of the Hawks. They could never seem to get over the hump against teams like the Miami Heat or the Boston no, Celtics. LeBron. And LeBron. <laughs> And now you're at this point where I don't think Trey Young is a transformational guy like a Durant, a Wembenyama, like you go down the list. But at the same time, it, it just reeks that the team is this bad when the ceiling is higher. Well, I don't think the issue is the relationship of Trey Young and his coach. I feel like this is just a top-heavy roster. I mean, obviously Trey Young is an elite player. Murray's in that conversation. But besides that, I mean, I love Bay off the bench. That's a great role player. And, you know, a great role player is something to be proud of. But you see, you look at the talent throughout this roster. I mean, defensively speaking in particular, this is a weak team. They need some help. It's At what point are you going to stop looking at the coaches, stop looking at Trey Young and say, hey, we need to find some other pieces to build around our franchise player? Bay is probably their only hit out of all these young guys they've developed. I mean, a they lot traded, of middling they guys. They traded for Bay from Detroit. That's a great point. Didn't even draft him. That's a great point. Where's DeAndre Bay, Hunter Arguably, at? Bay's flashiest moments where he was really outstanding were, which, were when he was really coming up with Detroit. You know what I mean? They were a little late on to that parade as well. But it, I just don't think Atlanta's done a done a good job, you know, hitting on talent outside of Trey Young. Jalen Johnson has been good for them. He's taken steps he's in the so, right so, direction. Yeah. I think it's why it's that early they were, in the development he's process. Really good. I also think it's why they were comfortable moving off of Collins. someone like a Cam Reddish and a Collins because they looked at Jalen Johnson that he can do the things that these guys can do, and he's younger and he's probably just as athletic, if not more athletic. Listen, I, I'm not advocating that this is the end of the road for Quinn Snyder. All I'm simply saying is that when you look at this roster, for as top-heavy as they are, in a league predicated on offense, you'd think the defense would get to a somewhat serviceable level to where the team would be better than 16-23 and 23 on the season. And defense is what? What is 51% of defense, Chris? Effort. Wanting it. Wanting it. Exactly. And that's what's probably most frustrating about this Atlanta Hawks team. Is Jalen Johnson is the 68th percentile defensive EPM, mm-hmm. but the offense is struggling. It feels like no one, even the scorers can't score in Atlanta this yeah. year. Go on. It's funny. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's, it's tough to win ball games with that, kind of, with that kind of defense. And, you know, defense is, you know, a controllable at the end of the day. Trey Young's been really good. 90. More than the offensive. 97th percentile offensive EPM, 28th percentile defense, but that's okay. Because in all, in all in all, both factored in, he's a 93rd percentile EPM this season, right behind Alperin Sengun, De'Aaron Fox, Jalen Brown, Wenbanyama, right ahead of LaMelo Ball, Mike Conley, DeMontis Sabonis, and guess who? Isaiah Hartenstein. <laughs>
Oh, decisions, decisions, decisions. Thursday, February 8th will be the NBA trade deadline. A lot could go on before that point, but that's going to do it for another edition of Pick and Pod. Along with Chris Perstein and Miles Grossman, I'm Colin Lochran saying so long. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports.